If you got a Bible, you can go to Acts chapter three. We're gonna be in Acts three today and we're gonna talk about healing. And as we talk about healing today, I just wanna point out that Acts chapter three was inspired by the Holy Spirit. It was written down by a medical doctor named Luke. And it was not just written to show you the good old days of the church. It was written to show you what it looks like when the power of God is moving in the people of God. And so I wanna read the entire chapter to you today. That's Acts chapter three. And then we're gonna talk about healing and we're gonna talk a little bit about suffering. We're gonna talk about God's heart to heal. And we're gonna talk about our heart when he doesn't heal. And I'm gonna start in verse one of chapter three. Please follow along. Now, Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple and seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple. He asked to receive alms and Peter directed his gaze at him as did John and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold. What I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the hand and he raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people were utterly astounded and they ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though through our own power or piety, we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and you asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses and his name by faith in his name has made this man strong as you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. But when God, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer and be fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel to those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. 
God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So here's what we're going to do. We're just going to talk for a few minutes about what happens in this text and what it has to do with Jesus and healing. And then we're going to end this service because there's a lot of sick people today and we're going to do something really biblical. We're not going to do something that is a TBN sideshow. We're not going to do something that's manipulative. We're going to do something that's in line with who Jesus is. We're going to pray for some people that are sick, right? And as we pray for some people that are sick, my expectation is that God's going to heal some people that are sick. And there's going to be some people that are sick that don't get healed. And we're going to process what it means when he heals. And we're going to process what it means when he doesn't heal. And so to begin this today, I just want to point your attention to what happens in verse two that is such an incredibly helpful picture of the world that we live in. It says in verse two that a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Think about what's happening here. There's this crazy juxtaposition. Here's this man that's been lame from birth. And because of his disability in the culture that he lived in, he's actually having to live and survive on the charity of strangers. He knows what it's like to be alone. He knows what it's like to suffer. He's in physical pain and physical weakness. And the only way that this guy can survive is for people to literally pick him up and carry him so that he can beg alms so that he can make it day to day with a little bit of bread. This is suffering. This is brokenness. This is sickness and disease. And at the same time, where is he begging? He's begging at what Luke calls the beautiful gate. The beautiful gate. So here is human suffering. Here's pain and messiness and a body that's broken. And here's this gate that's this temple picture of beauty and goodness and holiness. And what you have in this moment is beauty and despair, and they're not separated, they're together. See, the Bible's super honest about this world. And what the Bible would say again and again and again is that this world wasn't created by two equally powerful forces of good and evil. Right? A lot of philosophies of the world teach that there was this good power and there was this evil power. And this good power and this evil power battled and out of their conflict, this world was created. And because it was born out of conflict, that's why you see some beautiful things because of the good power. You see some bad things because of the bad power. And this world is marked by sort of the yin and yang of beauty and ugliness. Well, the Bible teaches something different while not denying that this is a beautiful world that's also really jacked up. What the scripture teaches is that in the beginning, the one God who's the real God creates everything out of nothing. And as he makes it in the beginning, it's just good. It's beautiful. It's without sin and it's without suffering. In the beginning, he makes man and woman and there's these crazy realities that are hard to even imagine. There's marriage without the pain of divorce. There's bodies without chronic illness and fatigue, right? There's work without that work being a waste of time where you punch in and punch out and nothing ever gets better. There's food and there's abundance and there's never poverty and there's never famine. And in the beginning, what happens is that this world is just alive with the goodness of God. This world is verdant and green and everything that's needed for man and woman to thrive and flourish is at their fingertips and they're living in the presence of God. 
So in the beginning, it's really clear that God's great strategy is not cancer. God's great strategy is not racism that leads to all kinds of societal sins of oppression. God's great strategy is not to have some people that have all the resources and some people that have no resources. In the beginning, what we see is just thriving. It's human flourishing. It's things like wine without drunkenness and alcohol abuse. It's bodies without death and it's beautiful and it's glorious and everything breaks not because God breaks it, but because we break it. In the beginning, Genesis chapter three, man and woman rebel against God. And here's what happens. They believe the lie that life will be better, richer, and deeper if they deny God and his commands and go their own way. And in their act of treason, this is so important that you see this and understand it. In their act of treason, because man was given such a place of authority under God to lead this world, As man sinned against God, it wasn't just man's personal relationship with God that broke. It was the very fabric of creation that got torn in our sin. So here's what happens, man. Like we just kicked open the door to death. We kicked open the door to famine. We kicked open the door to tornadoes. We kicked open the door to the reality of some people living off of oppressing and taking advantage of other people. We brought in things like cancer. We brought in things like chronic illness, anxiety, sleeplessness, depression, mental illness, addiction. We brought it all into this world through our act of treasonous rebellion. And the thing that should blow our minds is not that there's brokenness in the world. The thing that should blow our minds is that we tried to kick God out of his very own world and there's still beauty everywhere you look. That's what should make our jaws drop. When I was a kid, I lived in India for a while. And if you've never been to India and you ever get a chance to go, it's one of the most incredible mysterious, fascinating, beautiful places I've ever been. And the thing about India that just gets into your skin, it just either draws you and you want to go back or it terrifies you and you never want to go again, is that in India, you just can't separate the beauty and the horror of this world because it's everywhere. If you walk through a marketplace in India, at the same time, you're smelling the best smells you've ever smelled. You're smelling the fragrance of flowers and spices and perfumes and sandalwood. And then at the very same time, you're smelling decay and death and excrement. You can walk through India and see the most beautiful colors you've ever seen in your whole life. And then you can walk by and there's open gutters and places and people are begging. Literally children are being laid out who are disabled and their parents are making money off of them by putting them on a pallet to beg for alms. And I love India because India is just this microcosm of what we in Oklahoma City and Edmond and Shawnee, it's what we can sort of engineer around with a little bit of money and resources. Right? Like we can try to create this utopian feeling world in OKC where the beautiful people wear beautiful clothes and go to beautiful places and we don't necessarily smell and feel what's broken. But here's the reality. The Bible's honest that we are like beggars that are crippled and lame, but we're also at the very gates of beauty. In Oklahoma City right now, there's the beauty of moms loving their babies And there's the horror of moms being forced into the sex industry to pay for those babies to have food happening right now. In Oklahoma City, 
There's the beauty of art and culture and great food. And there's the horror of moms right now not knowing how they're going to feed their kids tonight. We live in this world that's got fingerprints all over it that should make us worship. Every good meal you ever have is an echo of what we were meant to experience in the beginning. Every time you see a sunset, every time, like last week, I get to sit out on the porch when a good old Oklahoma thunderstorm without a tornado rolls in. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like, is there anything better than a thunderstorm and no tornado warning? And you just get to sit on the front porch with a glass of wine by your girl and watching the light show. That's just a taste. That's an echo of what this world was meant to be like. It is beautiful. And now everywhere you look, there's scars and there's sickness. And physical sickness is one of the manifestations of a world that's been torn by sin. Now, what does this have to do with Jesus in this text? Well, here's what it has to do. Jesus does something breathtaking. He passes through a bigger and more beautiful gate to come into this broken world. Jesus is not just a human being that was born like all human beings. Jesus is fully human, but Jesus is also God, which means in eternity past, he's the one that created this world beautiful and he lived in the beauty and splendor of heaven. And what Jesus does that we celebrate during Christmas is he passes through those gates of beauty in heaven and he takes on flesh. And here's what's crazy and scandalous. He takes on flesh so that he could actually experience the fullness and depth of human suffering that human beings endure. He is broken and he's torn. He makes himself weak. He gets enmeshed in all of the pain that we get enmeshed in. And he does all of that because God in his goodness is not content to let sin and brokenness get the last word on his creation. Jesus comes to do something that's bigger and better than decay and entropy. He does something to reverse the fall. He does something to bring healing where there's nothing but sickness and death. Let me read to you from Isaiah 53. If if you're not a Christian and you want to get to know Jesus, this is a great place to go. Isaiah 53 is a prophecy about Jesus that was written almost 700 years before the birth of Christ. And this prophet Isaiah writes these words about Jesus. He says this in verse four. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. So why does Jesus make himself breakable? Why does he come to be born into this world? He doesn't come to live a life of ease. He actually comes to suffer and to die so that somehow by his wounds, healing could be brought into this creation. Now, the Bible says in the New Testament that part of that healing is spiritual, right? Like, Um, it's our spiritual wounds that are healed by Jesus. And here's what that means. One of the deepest spiritual wounds we have is just this thing called sin, which is separation from God. It's that we kind of miss the point of everything, that me as a human being, I want to take the gifts of God, like my wife and like my kids, 
and I wanna move God out of the most important place in my life, the place of ultimate meaning and definition that names me and gives me my deepest joy. I wanna move God out of that place and I wanna take people and things that he's made and put it in that place. So I, I want to go to my wife like she can satisfy the deepest longings of my soul or I wanna to go to my kids and ask them to tell me who I am and satisfy the ache of my soul. And that's a picture of sin. And what God does in Jesus is that by his wounds, the sin that we've committed against God can be healed, forgiven. And ultimately, here's what starts to happen. Jesus died so that your soul could actually experience health. Now, I'm not standing up here like anybody that knows me knows this is the truth. I'm not standing up here saying, behold, a whole soul. Like I'm healed in completeness. Right? There's, still, there's still shame, there's still guilt, there's still fear. But here's what's crazy. Since the first day I met Jesus, he's been working steadily and faithfully and patiently to take the broken mess of my inner life, my spirit and my heart, and to piece those things together and to help me to see him and know him. And I know I've got a long ways to go, but I know he promised he'd finish. So the first thing that's beautiful about the healing of Jesus is that he was crushed so that by his wounds, your soul could be made whole. You don't have to be fractured. You don't have to be defined by shame or by guilt or by fear. You don't have to go to stupid things that can't be God and ask him to be God. You can meet and know and love God, but it doesn't end there. See, Jesus didn't just come to be the spiritual healer of humanity. Jesus came to actually rework and recreate creation. Let let me read you a text. This is Matthew chapter eight, starting in verse 14. When Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever and he touched her hand and the fever left her and she rose and began to serve him. And that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons and he cast out the spirits with a word and he healed all that were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. So track with me on this. Here's what's crazy about Jesus. He's got three years of earthly ministry that you can read about in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And during his three years of earthly ministry, he's not just a spiritual healer. He's not just one that cares only about the inner life of the people he meets or their spirits or their hearts. Jesus has deep compassion for bodies, He cares about physical sickness. He cares about mental illness and spiritual oppression. He cares about people that don't have enough to eat. He cares about people that are in oppressive relationships, like the lady he meets at a well who's actually trading sex for rent. He he cares about humanity holistically. And in his three years of ministry, he brings a taste of his kingdom that actually answers not just spiritual problems, but physical problems as well. Now, here's why this is such a big deal. Early on in the life of the church, there was this heresy that was kind of a compilation of heresies called Gnosticism. And what these guys called Gnostics did is they basically let Greek philosophy influence their view of God and the world more than the Bible. And what that Greek philosophy started to create was this idea that matter is bad and spirit is good. So bodies don't really have any importance or value. The created world doesn't have importance and value. And so what you really need is this secret knowledge that you find by looking inside your own spirit. And if you look inside your own spirit and find this secret knowledge, then that's gonna be the key to you one day escaping the prison of your body. 
Now, here's the problem with that. God loves matter. He likes trees. God likes bodies. God likes ears that can hear and mouths that can talk and sing. And he likes food and he likes you having senses. And he created this world and called it good. And even though it's broken, Jesus steps into it to bring a taste of healing. And here's what's so crazy. At the very end, upon the return of Jesus, the eternity that God's going to bring us into is not this disembodied Simpsons version of the afterlife. Any other Simpsons fans in the room? Because that didn't really connect. Like, if you don't like the Simpsons, I don't know if we can trust you because that was a great show. The Simpsons version of the afterlife was always what? It was clouds and people floating around and playing harps. It was this spoof on heaven that's this disembodied, weird, ethereal thing. Now, here's what I see in scripture, that Jesus is going to make this new heavens and this new earth. And the new heavens and the new earth are going to have physicality to it. Like, here's what's crazy. When Jesus comes back, people that love and trust Jesus are not going to live forever as disembodied spirits, spooks floating around in the afterlife. You're actually going to have a body. But it's going to be a body that doesn't get sick, a body that doesn't get old, a body that doesn't have sin in it. It's going to be a body that can worship God without getting tired, that can sing without getting hoarse, that can drink wine without the risk of drunkenness and alcohol abuse. It's going to be crazy. The new heavens, the new earth that we read about in scripture has more physicality than we tend to imagine. Like when Jesus makes a new earth, it's going to be a lot like this earth, only better and perfect. And what happens in Jesus's earthly ministry is he actually shows that his kingdom is not just about disembodied spirits, but he cares about people and bodies and places. And he begins to give people this taste of life that's going to be theirs in him that's going to come perfectly one day, but that we have glimpses of today. So look at what happens in this text. Go back to Acts 3, look at verse 3. So seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So let me try to unpack this in a few different steps quickly. What does this have to do with healing life and Jesus? Well, the first thing is this, is that when miraculous healing happens, it's a manifestation of Jesus's love, power, and mercy. Can I just say right now, like, um, God cares about your body. That's good news. I talked to a lady in the last service who's dealing with insomnia. You know, God cares about the level of anxiety she's experiencing because she can't sleep at night. He cares about that. God cares about arthritis. God cares about chronic pain. God cares about those of you that can't figure out how you're going to make ends meet and pay rent this month. He cares about that kind of stuff. And what happens in this text is Jesus, out of his compassion and love, gives us a glimpse of his kingdom by doing a physical healing, by doing a physical healing. 
Now, we're going to get to when he doesn't heal. We'll talk about that. But I just don't want to gloss over the fact that sometimes he does. And when he does, it's beautiful. And it shows what he's like. In addition to that, when Jesus heals somebody, it's an opportunity for his name to be lifted up. If you read this text, here's what you're going to find. Jesus heals this cat at the gate. And and, and then all of a sudden, awe and wonder and amazement and glory are the words that describe how the crowd responds to this event. And then Peter stands up and I love this. A miracle happens and Peter doesn't stand up and say, well, let me give you a three-hour sermon about the intricacies of healing. Or let's start a healing center and we'll do healing revivals and we'll never mention Jesus. Peter stands up and he preaches a gospel sermon when this guy gets healed. He talks about the cross and the resurrection and the second coming. He talks about who Jesus is. When Jesus heals people, it's a chance to talk about him. So what should we do with all this? Well, let let me give you a few practical things to think about. First of all, we should understand the purpose of healing. Wayne Grudem wrote a helpful systematic theology and he bullets it out like this. When God heals, it's a sign. So it's this glimpse of the kingdom of God coming near to earth. And it's a taste of what's going to come perfectly when Jesus returns. It helps people lift up their heads and look to Jesus. Secondly, it's about the comfort and mercy of God for the afflicted. God is merciful. God is a comforter. God cares about people. When people do get healed, it's a sign of God's compassion, grace, and mercy. Thirdly, sometimes healing is about being equipped for service. Sometimes we read about healings in the Bible and folks get healed and they get healed because Jesus wants them to get busy about the work of the gospel, sharing the good news of Jesus and serving their neighbors. And every now and then healings happen because people are being hampered in their ability to serve Jesus through their physical ailments. And then lastly, healing is always about bringing glory to God. This is why Peter says in this sermon, he's like, why are you looking at us as if by our own power or piety, we healed this guy? This isn't us. This was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Healing is this beautiful opportunity to point to God when when something happens that we can't control and we can't accomplish. In addition, God uses different ways to bring healing. Now, let's talk about a bunch of these different ways. Sometimes we, see, we read about the laying on of hands in the Bible. Jesus laid hands on people often and the apostles laid hands on people. And so if, if you've got that image of a televangelist walking up to somebody in a white suit and smacking them on the forehead and pushing them over, can I just say that's not what we're talking about? Laying on of hands is this symbol that God cares about bodies. And here's what's happening when you lay hands on somebody. It's like, Instead of being withdrawn from you in your suffering and pain, I want to draw near to you in your suffering and pain because that's what Jesus did for me. You're not untouchable and you're not alone and you're not by yourself. And his hands are laid on. It's an opportunity for a Christian who has the Holy Spirit inside of him to pray for somebody that's hurting and to love them. This is why when we lay hands on people here at our church, we don't want to make a show of it. We don't want to push people. We don't want to grab people. We want to be respectful. It's like, hey, can I touch your arm while I pray for you? Can I hold your hand while I pray for you? Can I put my hand on your back while I pray for you? It's just a place where we can actually show that God has compassion and he cares about bodies. Sometimes in the New Testament, we read about anointing with oil, right? And that sounds super weird. What's that about? Well, in in James chapter five, the scripture says, is any among you sick? Let them call for the elders of the church and let them anoint them with oil. Well, what, what that is about is a sign of God, the Holy Spirit, 
that it's the Holy Spirit that works healing in the power of Jesus. And when we anoint somebody with oil, it's just this reminder that the Holy Spirit is the one that brings healing and health and comfort and life. He's the one that lifts up Jesus. In addition, track with this because it's so important. Sometimes God does a miraculous healing that's either instantaneous or progressive. Like I remember the lady in our church that had hepatitis C from years of IV drug use. And we were praying for her one time and God healed her, took away hepatitis C. It was a miracle, man. It wasn't progressive. It wasn't lengthy. It was just this boom, beautiful moment where God showed up and she got a taste of what the kingdom of God will be like. Well, there'll be no hepatitis C. Are you tracking with this? Sometimes people get healed and God does a miracle, but it's slowly over time. In addition, sometimes the miracle is that God in his common grace gave human beings the wisdom and the intellect to scientifically think about medicine, right? Like, can we just say, when medicine helps alleviate suffering, that's the grace and mercy of God working through human means. When my son was really sick, uh, we spent 30 days in the ICU and he had a viral meningitis, which then turned into this really rare autoimmune disorder called ADEM. And it was looking like he was gonna die or be severely disabled. And, And in the night shift, there was this amazing nurse. <sighs> who's a member of our church now. And man, she was like, she was like the hands and feet of Jesus to me and my wife. She loved us. She was patient with our crazy questions. And when my son's heart rate would dip, she would come in and she would give him a bath to try to wake him up so that he wouldn't slip out into death. She was present and she was there. And it was the culmination of a life of learning and medicine and training, but it was God's grace moving through her. And even the, Christ, even the non-Christian that is involved in medicine, like their intellect and their ability to invent is a sign of God's common grace for human beings because he cares about the world in which we live. So sometimes God heals miraculously, sometimes progressively, sometimes he works through medicine. And listen to me, this is so important. Sometimes he heals finally and ultimately by allowing us to die in sickness and then meet Jesus and be made whole. But in all those things, his heart is for healing. And what I think you should be thinking about as a follower of Jesus, if you're sick, is that you should pray for God to heal you until one of three things happens. He's either going to heal you. He might tell you, stop praying for healing. My grace is sufficient for you. Sometimes he says that. Sometimes in his sovereignty, he chooses to allow you to consent, continue in sickness because there's some beautiful things he wants to work in that sickness through your life. Now, I will say this. Don't ever say that sickness and disease in and of themselves glorify God. They don't. They're signs of the brokenness of the world. But a person that endures sickness and disease with faith and patience and looking to Jesus, that glorifies God in a big way. So he's either going to heal you through medicine or heal you through a miracle, or he's going to bring you home to him and allow you to die in faith. And you're going to be healed completely there. Sometimes in scripture, 
faith is mentioned explicitly with healing. That's confidence that God is willing and able to heal. At times, it's the faith of the sick person that prays. I love the story of one of the, the lepers that Jesus cleansed. And, and this guy comes back to thank Jesus. And Jesus says, go, your faith has made you well. Or the lady who had been afflicted with the issue of blood for years. And she had been fleeced by corrupt people. And she had spent all of her money trying to find a cure. And she sneaks up to Jesus in faith and just grabs his robe in a crowd of people. And she's healed. And he turns and says, your faith has made you well. Sometimes it's not the faith of the sick person. Sometimes the Bible mentions the faith of the sick person's friends or family. Have you ever been so depressed or so sick that you needed somebody else to have some faith for you? I have. Sometimes we read about in the Bible, like this group of friends takes their buddy who's paralyzed and they get him to Jesus and they dig a hole in a roof and they lower him down to Jesus and their faith, man, their faith in Jesus is huge. Sometimes the Bible talks about the faith of the person praying. Like James 5 talks about elders praying in faith as they anoint sick folks with oil. And sometimes, I'm glad this is in the Bible too, sometimes faith isn't even mentioned and it's just this beautiful moment where God in his sovereignty just shows up and shows off his grace. Now, as we wrap this up, I want to say a couple of things. One, please leave room for mystery as it relates to God's miraculous healing. Leave room for mystery. You're not God and neither am I. Healing's not a formula. Don't be quick to look at a person and say, well, if you had faith, you would have been healed. That's a horrible and hurtful thing for you to say. Sometimes God doesn't heal and there's reasons why he doesn't heal that are so far beyond your comprehension and mine that we just have to stand in mystery. Like I know some friends of mine that have been chronically sick for decades and they just love and trust Jesus. And I know people that got sick and God healed them instantly. And I don't get to decide who stays sick and who gets better. Jesus decides that. He's God and I'm not. In addition, when healing doesn't happen, Let me tell you incredible news. Romans 8 is still real. And what Romans 8 says is that he actually is working all things, which includes cancer, chronic pain, arthritis, depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder. He is working all things together for good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. So what do we do with this? Well, I I think that there'd be two really wrong ways to approach healing if you're a Christian. I think the first is to think that every single time anybody gets prayed for, they're going to get healed. I think that's unhelpful. I think it's unhelpful to not have a theology of suffering. I think it's unhelpful to pull out Romans and, and, and the sovereignty of God that's highlighted and act like that's not real. I think it's unhelpful to deny the fact that many times in scripture, people that love Jesus get sick or persecuted or die. I think that it's really foolish to make healing more important to you than Jesus. I also think it's really foolish to think that God rarely, if ever, wants to heal anybody. I think it's a mistake. I think it's belittling of his power and his grace. I think we should pray in faith until God either heals, says my grace is sufficient, or lets a person die and meet him face to face. And I want us to be the kind of church that they can have a theology of suffering and a theology of healing and a practice of prayer for people that like James writes is prayer with faith and perseverance. So 
as we close this today. If you're not a follower of Jesus, the biggest thing you need more than anything else is you need the healing for your soul that only he can bring. You need healing for your soul. Your soul is fractured. Your soul is moving in all kinds of different directions. Your soul is separated from God because of sin. Faith in Jesus is the medicine that your soul needs. So if that's you today, you can trust Jesus. Now, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, if you're sick today, let's pray. Like, I, I just think it's not likely that God would put this in the Bible, lead a group of pastors to talk about it and pray about it and preach on it, and then pray for a bunch of sick people and not experience some of God's grace and mercy moving in bodies. Like, I just expect today as we pray for people that God's going to do some stuff. Now, is my faith that every single person that we pray for is going to get healed? I wish it was. I'd like to have that much faith. But my faith is that he's here. My faith is that he loves you. My faith is that he cares about your body. And my faith is that as we pray for some people, he is going to move in this room.